G'day, and thanks for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. We this week are hosting a discipleship training week, and our focus is on prayer, and we hope that you find this encouraging. God bless you. I'm going to share a little bit about, I won't won't tell you, I'll keep it a secret a little bit longer. Question, who likes board games here? What some? What's your favorite, Steve? What's your favorite board game? Oh, the classic. There's been so many better games invented. <laughs> Beth loves Monopoly as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it's got the nostalgia factor. I think. All right. What's your strategy with Monopoly, Steve? <laughs> yeah are you cutthroat when you play like do you show more you have got more cutthroat <laughs> so you like rip him off oh <laughs> Okay, yeah, he's fixated on that. Mm. What? Who else is cutthroat? Who else is a cutthroat board game player when they play? Really? Mm. Who's not? Who's not cutthroat? Who shows mercy? Yeah. What about you, Beth? You're cutthroat, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, when Shane and I were first married, we got... Has anyone played Settlers of Catan? Um, great game. We got given the board, I mean the card game version, which is a two-player version. It's really clever and a great game. And Shane and I played it when we were first married. And the first game, Shane won. It's like great. Second game, Shane won. That's cool. Third game, Shane won. That's fine. Fourth game, he won. Fifth game, I'm like, now I'm getting annoyed. It's like. Seriously, give me a little like you know, and he was just cutthroat. I'm like, this is not you're not gonna win if you win. Um, so anyway, the seventh game that I lost in a row, I, I've never played with him again. <laughs> <laughs> but I got so mad because when I play games, I I am one. I kind of like I just enjoy playing, and I kind of think let's keep everyone in the game for as long as possible so we can keep playing. And I kind of like, oh, I could do that, but nah, I won't. I'll do something a little less. like. And then when you're getting like cutthroat, 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 it's really quite demoralizing to be on the receiving end of that. Um, but that's how you play the game, right? Um, you play to win. That's the game. That's the point of it, right? Um, I want to play a game, Corey. <laughs> I, I primed him. It was a power move, apparently. I primed him. You're going to be my guinea pig, but I didn't tell him what he was going to be doing. Oh my it's, um, we're going to just play a game of rock, paper, scissors, right? Okay. Ready? Okay. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, our best of three. Come on. No. Best of five. Best of five. <laughs> no, scissors beat rock. No. <laughs> scissors beat rock. That's my rule. <laughs> anyway, no, you're right. Scissors, rock beat scissor. But the, that was, thanks. Thanks for that, Corey. Um, you illustrated perfectly, except you were meant to win more. And I wasn't meant to win all those times, so I could get to my point quicker. Um, um, I, I want to think about our world in terms of, like, we approach games. Like, when you approach a game, someone's created the game, someone's come up with it, and there's rules that, that, that make it work, right? And if, when you come to play, everyone needs to know the rules for the game to work. Right, and if so, if you come into a game and you have no idea how the rules work, that has a huge detrimental impact on your game and your enjoyment of the game. 
Um, and, you know, it's like this with so many areas of life, you know, whether it's in our jobs, our families, every sort of sphere of our life, it has a certain way that it works and it has a protocol, it has par like a pr parameters, people have roles and responsibilities and if we know what our role is, we know what we're, what we're doing, our, let's, you know, use the term playing, we know how to play, you know, we can engage and we can enjoy it and we can, but if we don't know what the rules are, like how, how many of you experience going to like a situation that's really unfamiliar, like maybe it's a, a, a different church even, a different church style of worship or, you know, you go into a new job or a new environment, whether, say, say you're in um, work in a profession that you come into a school, but you haven't really been in a school, you know, oh, what are the, what are the rules? How does it work? Like, what's the protocol? And um, even going to other countries, you know, this happens. It's like, oh, what's the cultural, you know, you, you could easily do something you're not supposed to do if you faux pas uh, or use words that aren't appropriate because you don't, you know, know. And it makes you feel really uh, uncomfortable. You're not sure when you're going to make a, a wrong step. Um, or like, you know, going to Parliament House, like, it's really important if you know, am I the, the chair of the house or am I like a visitor up in the, and that's going to really uh, impact how you operate. And if you're like visiting, you know, it's appropriate for you to be quiet, observe, you know, just, but if you're the chair and you're acting like you're a visitor, that's also like really inappropriate. If you're meant to be leading and facilitating and and you're just sitting there silently observing, like that's really not a good thing. Like you're not doing what you're meant to. You're not playing by the rules. You're not, you know, operating this space in the way the way you're supposed to. And you know, I like to think about, you know, as we approach life and faith and, you know, we really it's so vital that we understand the the worldview, like God's worldview, and and if you think He's the creator of our world, uh, and He's made the rules, He's set up how it all works, and we need to understand that and to kind of come into alignment with that in order to play effectively in the game. And um, you know, there is rules, there is um, certain things, and if we if we're understanding it wrongly. And operating out of those wrong understandings, then there's going to be things that aren't working. There's, there's going to, just like in a game, if you're not playing by the rules, there's going to be points where it's like you're hitting a brick wall. You're like, you're not getting the outcome that you want. Um, there's friction where there shouldn't be friction with other players because you're having fights about the rules. Or um, So we really want to know, like, what is the state of play for us. And I think when it comes to prayer, this is really fundamental because, you know, one thing that I've, I guess one of the key things I want to tackle in what I'm sharing today, well, it is about authority. What's our spiritual authority? Um, and, and how does that outwork in our prayer life and understanding that, knowing, okay, what's our position? Where are we at? You know, what, what is our role here? Um, we need to have clarity on that because if we don't, we're not going to function appropriately. And, um, yeah, it's one thing that I've come across in in Christian circles that I think is really a big barrier to this is our how do we understand God's sovereignty? Because it's something that we hear a lot, like, oh, God's, God's sovereign, God's in control. And often, to me, it comes across like, almost like a dismissal or a bit of a, it's like, say la vie, like, whatever will be, will be, God's in control, like, if, he, if God wants that to happen, that will happen, or if he doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen, and it's like, well, is that actually accurate? Is that actually reflective of the state of play that we're in? Um, and if, because it sounds good, like, to say God's sovereign, because it's true, he is sovereign, we know he's all-powerful, he's, you know, he's the big boss, and and he's able to, you know, work in everything and he has this kind of ability. So we can, we don't want it to undermine our trust. Like we can fully trust him. He's fully powerful to do anything and everything he said he would do. But is he in control? Like, is he controlling everything that happens? And I think that's a really danger. We need to know 
like what does that mean what how do we understand that because i would say god's sovereign but in his sovereignty he has set up a way that the world operates that he wants it to operate that way and and he's not micromanaging everything in that space you know who likes a micromanager as a boss anyone God is not a micromanager. He's not controlling everything. That's wrong and twisted. Like we instinctively know if someone's controlling us, it's not right, it's not healthy. And God doesn't control us. He is so good and kind. But he is also sovereign and all powerful and you know, he works everything out and he will get his end result of what he wants, the end outcome. But he's not micromanaging, he's not controlling us. And that whole thing of like free will versus, yeah, um, predestination, that whole discussion, that's kind of what I'm tackling. And, you know, I think ultimately there is this balance of both, right? There's this sense of God somehow control, has this sense of sovereignty and ability to predetermine a destin- the destiny. But then also there's there's this sense that we have free will and, and, you know, he's giving us room to move and to make choices that are real and have real impacts. And, and how do we understand that? And, and how does that impact how we operate as Christians and, and how it affects our prayer life? And so that's kind of where I'm headed today. And I'll kind of continue a bit with that analogy of the play and the, um, just because I think it can be a bit helpful. His game. Not to, I don't want it to sound like I'm minimizing or like what it is because I don't think it's like because that can have negative connotations of like it's all just some game and he's sick and twisted that we all have to play this weird game where you know but that idea that he's created the world he's created the rules of the world in that way he's sovereign but those rules involve him kind of stepping back to some degree as well and letting us have a have a have a turn um yeah, so let's go back to the beginning. Have you got your Bibles? We've got hard copy Bibles around the room if you would like one to use. Um, I always like to start at the beginning, right? There's so much Genesis. There's a really cool thing. It's like the rule of first. First, it's something like the first time something's mentioned or talked about or whatever, like you go and examine that in scripture and you can like glean so much about different things where, and a lot of them are obviously in Genesis, the first things. And so we're going to go to creation and look at the the man and the woman and their, and their, what were they assigned to do? So firstly, Adam, um, it actually is, means man. In Hebrew, Adam is just the word for man. So it's like this generic term in a way that covers everyone, but he was also a, like a personal person, but he's a, he's a representative of all of humanity. So what, Jesus, what God is saying over these t- first two humans is essentially what he's saying over all of humanity um, and his desires for humanity. So he rep- Adam represents all mankind, and we're going to see what God's original intent and purpose in humanity to help us understand our role better because I we often start sort of halfway through the story like when we're talking about the gospel we kind of sometimes lose some of the story and we we start from the we're fallen you know we have a disconnect with God and God wants to connect us back and we get forgiven to get in right standing with God and then we have a relationship with God again and that is very true and that is very important, but there is more to the gospel story than that. And the gospel story starts not from a fallen creation. It starts from a good creation and a good plan. And we have to start there to fully understand our redemption because we're not, com- you know, it's not just about fixing up to the point of the fall. It's like, well, no, what was, he's restored, he wants to restore us back to the original he never, you know, he finished what he, what he started. So, like, he's the same yesterday to forever. So, like, what he wanted when he made the world and made people, like, we got to assume that's the same thing that he wants now. And and so let's get the inside of what was he doing? Because when he started off, he wasn't doing a plan of redemption. He was creating something good. What was it? So let's look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let, hi, dad, come on in. (laughs) 
We're looking at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Laura, welcome. We're looking at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. There's some Bibles over there if you need it. And there's more space at the tables. There's a whole table down here if you want the table. Okay. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. If you didn't know anything else about the Bible and the story of God and just that passage, what, what are we learning just from this passage about what God was wanting? What was he doing? What was, how was he setting up things on the earth to function? What insights do you get? Mm. Yeah, good one. And it's great because you didn't hear the whole lead up to, to that. So it's like even better that you're picking up on that. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting Yeah, the animals were meant to eat the plants. The animals didn't eat each other. And this is significant too because there's no death before the fall. And that's really important, especially if you're looking at creation and evolution and things like that. It's really important to understand no death before the fall is vital for the whole story of the gospel to make sense. If there's death and dying and eating and killing and natural selection before that, it's, it doesn't work with the gospel. So if you're going to try and incorporate evolution somehow, which I don't encourage you to do, but if you do want to, you have to think about that and how does that work? Um, because that's important. Yeah, yeah. They didn't. They don't actually. It's just after the flood. After the flood, they're given permission to eat the animals, but before that, no one ate animals. It would have probably been the most horrifying thought. <laughs> Although they did kill each other in the lead up to that time, so they would had had, had experienced the brutality of humanity. But maybe I wonder if anyone had actually even considered eating animals before that point maybe chances are they did <laughs> but they got a permission to do it after the flood anything else from that passage that yep it's to look like god Hebrew. Um, but in terms of what was God wanting from his creation, we're looking at what was the original purpose of why he created people. Yes, Corey? To be fruitful and multiply. Um, yeah, and you also don't get a sense that there is like a, like the male and female together, I think like, together those they are representing God as well like there's a real um unity there not a sense of like domination um okay keep going in psalm 8 if you want to turn there can psalm 8 3 to 8 psalm 8 3 to 8 What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God. 
and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. Some translations might say something different. What is, does anyone say something different? What does yours say? Yeah, I think I didn't, I cut off the first part of that verse and what I copied and pasted here. Some, do some say angels as well, made them a little lower than the angels? Um, yeah. A little lower than God. And it's interesting because it's quite a common translation here, a little lower than angels, but this gives us that insight, it's like a little lower than God. Like we're getting a sense of, um, yeah, and you crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything, putting all things under their authority. And this language, it is very similar to some of the language you hear about God, like everything's under his authority and, you know, he's crowned, you know. So there's a sense of a deep connection between God and who he is and his purposes and his presence and people. Like he He made in his image to to function as like, God of the earth in a sense and that sounds a bit full-on to say but that was the role that that was given it was a, a an assignment to represent God um, yes yeah, so, so God gave Adam ma- and mankind dominion rule stewardship government over the earth obviously we know because it was God's he made it he made people but he chose because he's the creator he gets to make the rules of how we're, I've framed this whole session in the sense of if you create a game, you know, you, you, um, the person that makes the game makes the rules and to play the game well, you got to play by the rules. And so God's created the world and he's created the rules of how it works. He's decided in his sovereignty that he wants mankind to be his representatives to be carrying his image to rule and govern the earth that's what he wants so that's what he's choosing to do with his power and authority he's choosing to give it to mankind to give them a role on the earth that carries that same weight that's his call to make in psalm 115 verse 16 it says The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. He's given the earth to us. And I think, you know, we don't, we don't seem to want that responsibility. (laughs) Um, And we like to say, no, 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 it's, it's God's, it's all God's. And it is, but... What does he want? What is he saying? What is he doing? We have to know what is his desire, not just what we think, what we feel, what, you know, how we would do it. No, what is he doing? What is he wanting? God didn't give away ownership of the earth, but he assigned the responsibility of governing it to to mankind. In Genesis 2.15, the, where it says to keep, like talking about to keep the garden, could also be translated as guard or protect. And it's also the primary word used for watchman in scripture. God made Adam a guardian and a watchman of the earth. So Adam and Eve and humanity was made a re- as a representative of God in his image and given authority to govern on behalf of God. And this was the original role given to mankind. Um, and to represent him, you know, what does it mean to represent God? I've got a, a definition here. To be entitled or appointed to act or speak for someone, especially in an official capacity. To stand or act in the place of as a substitute proxy or agent. Like a person, I represent this company in Boston or... You know, if you um, 
a delegated authority representing a government, you know, like you're an ambassador in another country, you represent your home country. Um, and this was Adam's role, and this was our role. Um, the intended role for all humanity was to represent God, to represent his, and to action his rule and his ways on the earth. Um, this is good. I got some of this info from a, a really good book called uh, The Intercessory, no, what is it? Intercessory Prayer by, by Dutch, Dutch Sheets. Um, man was made in the image of God. The word, the Hebrew word for image is selem, which is T-S-E-L-E-M. Um, and it's, it's, it involves the concept of a shadow, a phantom, or an illusion. And the idea here is that mankind was so similar to God that at first glance, you could mistake Adam for God. Like, oh, I thought that was God, but no, it's just Adam. <laughs> it's like the spitting image. He looks like God. Um, the likeness of God. He's similar, comparable, compatible. Made just a little lower than God. And I think, oh, wait, I'm getting to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you're on to it. Um, and how amazing that God's given us and, and humans, like, the ability to co-create, I guess, with him, other eternal beings that, like, that carry that image. You know, like, God could have just kept making people, you know what I mean, directly. But it's like, no, he's given, be fruitful and multiply. You share with me the role of creating more people that bear my image. Like, what an honor to be part of the creation of more people. And in a sense, you know, it's humbling because I, I, I think it's funny when people say, look what we made when they have a baby. It's like, you had nothing, really, not much to do with that. Like, we couldn't make another person. We can't do that. But we can participate and help facilitate the creation of that person, right? We cooperate with it. And that's such a perfect analogy for so much of what we do with God, this sense of partnership. It's like he wants to partner with us, and it's like he needs us. But at the same time, we contribute almost nothing. Like it's, like it's all his work. But we, he's choosing to, to do that work through us. Like having a baby, he he's choosing to do that work through this man and woman, but it is his work. But he's he's allowing us the privilege of being so like intertwined with that work that we feel like we did it, <laughs> and we're and he gives us the responsibility of that child, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. People were crowned with God's own glory. And glory means kabod, which means heavy or weighty. Glory is like this weight. And it's like it's to do with authority, like when you say he carries a lot of weight. That sense of I can enforce this. Like I have the weight of the law behind me. It's not flimsy. It's like, no, there's substance to it. So Adam carried the weight of earth, on earth, of God's glory, of God's authority. There was that weightiness on him. And, and he was able to reign and represent God. Uh, authority. Here's a definition for authority. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. He had absolute authority over his subordinates. So when we're talking about spiritual authority, it's a, it is a weighty thing. Like, the power or right to give orders, to make decisions and enforce obedience. So humanity is carrying the glory of God. God is recognized in mankind. And they were, and you know, when God made creation, it was good. It was very good. You know, it was as everything was meant to be. And they did represent God. And they were ruling and reigning. But Adam disobeyed God. And he fell short of that glory. He failed to represent God. And it is tragic. And the outcome is, is that God is no longer recognized in mankind in the way that was intended. You know, how things went on the earth, for better or for worse depended on Adam and his offspring. 
if the earth remained a paradise, it would be because they remained true to their calling. If things got messed up, it would likewise be man's failure. And if the serpent ever gained control, perhaps he was the one Adam was meant to be a watchman and protect the earth from, it would be because of mankind. Humanity was really put in charge of the earth. It wasn't a token idea of like, oh, you can wear a little badge and pretend to be in charge, but I'm really in charge. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. I'm in control of the world, but you can have a bit of fun in the garden. No, it was like a real weightiness of responsibility. I thought it was given to people. And God doesn't just give and like, oh, no, you stuffed it up. Okay, I'm taking it back. He didn't. That's not what he did. He had a plan. He was following through with this plan. Um, we stuffed up. We stuffed up, but he still had a plan. But he gave that to us. That was our job that we stuffed up. You had one job. <laughs> but uh, this always, this continues to blow my mind the way that God, just like with human children that he gives us to care for, it's like, it's not a token responsibility. It's not just a, Oh, it doesn't matter thing. It's like a real responsibility. And I've pondered this over the years because I'm like, why? Like, why? What's his motive? Like, why is it so important that we carry this weight? Why does it matter if we, you know, have a real job to do or not? And I think it all comes down to, like, what he, what is he wanting? Like, he want, like, let us make mankind in our image. Like, you know, what we learn through the story of the Bible is like he's looking to connect with us, to have a relationship with us. It's like he wants to expand his family. He wants to have more. He's got the Trinity. They're having a good time. But they're like, we have so much love to give. Let's make our family bigger. Let's have more people in the family. And so he wants people that he can relate to, that it's meaningful for him to relate to us. You know, like we find it meaningful to relate to God, but he finds it meaningful to relate to us. And this blows my mind because, you know, he, it, it actually, you know, it's like when you have children and it's so, you don't know what they're going to do or say or think of or create or ask you or become. Like it's this amazing discovery that you go on with them and um, you want to know what are they thinking or what are they what are their, what are their ideas what do they want because they're not robots and that's what makes it so exciting it's like it's the unknown it's the adventure of discovering them and obviously we know god knows everything but it's that, but i think he likes that he enjoys that he wants to give us enough freedom and godlikeness in how he's made us that it's actually exciting and enjoyable for him to relate to us because he's not getting the automated responses he's getting genuine individual persons that are made in his image interacting with him in a way that it's like he gets to connect with us like he's talking to a peer isn't that mind-blowing like he wants friends he wants friends and no one wants a friend that's a robot that every time I ask them this they're always going to say that and you know like what makes friendship special is like it's dynamic it's interesting you don't know everything about them you're learning more you're asking questions you're laughing you're making jokes like it's unexpected it's exciting it's a journey and it's meaningful and God gets that from us but he only gets that from us if we have true freedom and we have true responsibility and that comes with huge risks and that's, you know, also how we have true love because we have to choose him. And to choose him, we have to have a choice of other options. We have to be able to choose not him. And so it is so important to him. It means so much to him to have real relationship with us that's meaningful, not just like a robot, like that it's worth the cost. And there's a huge cost because we know how many people reject him. How many people don't choose him? He gives them the freedom. He gives them life and breath and freedom. And they use that to turn against him. Like, that's heartbreaking. But on the flip side, when someone of their free will chooses to turn to him, out of all, I, I was thinking about the other day, it's almost like the opposite of the, um, the garden, where there's like one tree you can't eat. 
It's like in, if you think about the, for us now, it's like the opposite. It's like we have all these trees we can eat from that aren't God. No, yeah, and there's one tree that's God. It's like, will we choose to come to him for our life or will we go to all these other options? And for those that go, I just want to eat from that one tree. I just want God. Like, what does that do? That has a real impact on him. That really brings him joy. That really brings him delight and excitement because it's not token. It has real consequences for him and for us. And so that sense of responsibility and wait, you know, it's kind of scary in a way, but it's like, if we didn't have that, if there wasn't real costs, then we couldn't have real love and we couldn't have real connection with God. And that's the end game is to have a real family that can relate to God. Like Jesus is called our brother. So we are essentially put on the same line of connection and relationship as Jesus. Like that's insane that he sees us as his siblings, you know, like, and again, not just as a token thing, like really as his siblings, you know, that's mind-blowing. So it's like there's real consequences. There's real responsibility. There's real consequences, and there's life and death consequences, physically and spiritually. It's quite heavy in that sense. Um. Yeah, and so complete and final was Adam's authority over the earth that even Adam, not just God, had the ability to give it away. In in Luke chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, it says, um, yeah, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't refute Satan's claim when he says, when Satan says to Jesus, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus does, he actually refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. Three times in the Gospels, so in John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11, he calls Satan the ruler of this world. We gave when we said yet when we obeyed Satan in the garden instead of God, that was handing over the authority. And this is where it gets really like, like so complete and final was God's decision to do things on earth through mankind, so committed to that and committed to getting back to like his original what he wanted. God had to become a man to regain what Adam gave away. Because, yeah, he could have, like, fixed things. You know, he could have done it another way, maybe, but he would have lost what he was trying to get from us, that connection, that that relationship, that, you know... So to get, uh, to get us back to that place, he had to c- become a man in order to regain authority for mankind on the earth. The incarnation of God into the man, Jesus, is no clearer evidence that humans were forever God's link to authority and activity on the earth. Even he would not violate the order of earth's government that he established. So the rules that he set up for earth, sure, he could have broke them and go, all right, we're going to stop that. I'm going to make up some new rules and figure out a new way to play because that didn't work. You guys broke all the rules. Didn't like it. No, he stuck with his original, how he set it up. He just worked within those rules to find a way to bring it back. It's like the most clever, you know, um, plot twist. Game change (laughs) Um, was... Him going, okay, this is how I've set things up. How do I recover what was lost? And the only way he could do that was become a man and die. That's how committed he was to what he started. Even he would not violate the order of earth's government that he established. To return authority to us, he had to become one of us. 
this is part this is the glory and the beauty and the wonder of the cross to include us back into our royal position he humbled himself to death jesus is referred to as the second adam and it's in whoa it's in it's in the um it's in the, bar, in the New Testament in a few places. And I do think it's one of those religious terms that we can hear and just kind of gloss over. And not. And that's what, going through this today, I'm hoping you're getting more of that sense of the, the awesome weight of that, of what's happened and the significance of it. Like the first Adam represented all mankind and his, and see, this is the thing you think, oh, I remember always thinking, it seems so unfair. Like, the way God set up the rules for the earth is that this one person, whatever he did, affected everyone. How's that fair? Because then the next people that come along and they're like, well, I didn't get to make that choice, but now I'm lumped with the same. But the flip side is his, his setting up that rule is part of how the earth operated. It meant he could leverage that same rule and go, well, I'll come as a man and I'll re- represent humanity and I'll get it right and everyone will benefit. Everyone gets impacted. And, like, that's mind-blowing. And how clever. Sin is still at work. But it's like, we need to get a glimpse of what the victory of Jesus meant. And, and that what it's what it's doing in the earth, what it's doing in us and how powerful and how that's going to so overtake all the evil and go on to glory, to glory, to glory that it's just going to be like, what even was that? Like, it's such a non-thing. Like, we need to be so in awe of Jesus and his power, his majesty, his ability to flip that around and make it this wondrous thing when it was like the greatest tragedy that ever happened. He's able to flip. And then when we truly kind of get that soaked into us, it's like any situation that looks bad and evil and dark, we're not scared of it. We're not intimidated by it because it's like, well, if he could do that with that, if he could do what he did for all of humanity, like he can do this thing. Like we don't, the enemy wants us in a position of intimidation all the time where we're awed by what he's doing, where we're like impressed by the power of sin and darkness we need to throw that off and get a bit more impressed and a bit more awed with what he's done and how powerful he is. Um, because, you know, like, who was talking about that? It's not so much our lack of faith. I think Thea was maybe saying that, but it's our, it's our unbelief that gets in the way. It's like we have faith in God, but it's kind of like this unbelief kind of comes in and squashes it. Yeah, Laura? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a game. He's playing a game. Yeah. And this is part of us like reowning our position as his children and it carries. It's like, no, we need to walk like he, we need to think like he, you know, you have the mind of Christ. We need to think like he thinks, walk like he walks, see the world from his perspective and, and kind of lose that Adam perspective that, you know. Um, all right, I'm going to just read this in the NLT because it's so good in here. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. They're both men, both representing humanity. We get to live on this side of that story, which is amazing. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. So it's like comparing them, but talking about how different they are. Um, For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. I think that's a helpful term there. It was ruling over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph 
over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. That's the goal, to live in triumph over sin and death. And that is like available. That's what he wants for us. That's what he's done for us. But so much about, you know, it says uh, in the Old Testament, like my people perish for lack of knowledge. It's for lack of knowledge about these sorts of things that we will perish or we will be, you know, intimidated and, you know, held back and, and kept powerless because we actually have a lot of, we have been restored the authority, the original authority, even greater than you could say than the original authority that we had when earth was made. Like how are we using that authority? Because the enemy wants to keep thwarting us in that. Like he wants to keep robbing us of that authority. And the only way he can do it is through our cooperation and through tricking us into thinking we don't have that. Or that we're in a certain position that we're not anymore. So if he can keep us tricked into thinking, ah, uh, you know, I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to struggle along and do my thing. He's so scared if people catch hold of what it actually means to represent God and to be empowered, to be given the, to be image bearers, to be ambassadors, to be citizens, to have a spirit in us, to do greater works than he could do. Like, uh, it would only take a handful of people really getting it to like really do some major damage, you know? And he's really working hard to keep us from this knowledge and this insight and this freedom. And, you know, it is, in this verse, it's highlighting that position of righteousness that it's, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, it's not specifically saying, we've been given authority over the earth, but like connect, connecting the dots of the scripture and, and that, and that throughout, it's like, uh, I'm giving you, all, all power and authority has been given, I'm giving to you, you know, the authority to, to, to preach in my name, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. You know, our understanding about all this, like when we approach prayer, this is so important to understand because, you know, who am I to go pray for the sick? Who am I to think that God would hear me? Oh, like, oh, I'm not sure. If we're not sure what he's done, who we are, how, what our role is in the game, what's our position to play, we won't be playing it. We'll just stay, you know, like on home base, waiting for someone to take me from here to here. It's like, no, like your role now is to be like me on the earth. I'm giving you everything I can to go, right, you're back on. You're back in the game. You've been sidelined for a while, but now you're back in the game. You've got, you've got your armor, you've got the, and we're in a battle. Like, the game is actually a war. That's the scary thing. <laughs> like, it's a war, and there is real life and death consequences. It is the Hunger Games. <laughs> we're in a war, and it's serious. And, the, and again, the responsibility, like in the gun, the responsibility is still big, and it's weighty. And, you know, it's sort of a bit, feels a bit wrong to say, oh, if I don't pray, maybe someone won't get saved that might have, or someone won't get healed that might have, but... But at the same time, you know, the scripture is full of exhortations to, to do this, to believe. The prayer made in faith will make the sick man well. The implication is if a prayer is not being made in faith, if prayers aren't happening, the sick people won't get well. Like, there is real implications when we aren't obedient. There is real consequences. And we need to know that not and not feel, like, heavy and burdened because he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And, like, shame point, I work with the power that God's doing in me. It's not... We can't do any of those things. But if we're walking in step with our creator and he's given us this, like, we, we, need, to, we need to respond. We need to act. Um, and we need to expect and appreciate. We have authority. I do have authority to pray for the sick. I do have authority to cast out demons. I have the authority that Jesus has given me. And that's pretty big. And I'm made in the image of Jesus. I've been restored to that, that ambassador um, role that Adam had. But I've got the Holy Spirit indwelling me. I don't believe that it's God's will for bad things to happen on the earth. It's not God's will. Bad things happen because God is waiting for mankind to partner with him to see his will realized. And bad things have to happen. It's God's will that bad things happen in the sense that he wills that there's freedom. He wills that we're not micromanaged, that we make real choices, that we experience real love and real, you know, in that sense it's his will because there's no other way. 
but he doesn't want bad things to happen. But it's the path we have to, to walk now. But we're here to represent his will, which is freedom and life and healing and hope and freedom from like darkness and despair. And, you know, like we instinctively know when something's bad and when something's good. Like we get confused and we get religious and, and we, we have experience. Oh, I prayed for this person. They didn't get healed now. Oh, was that God's will or wasn't it? Like God will work in every situation and we can trust him. Okay, I prayed for that. They didn't. But let's be very careful what we attribute as God's will if it's something that's instinctively kind of not a good thing. Like if someone's sick and someone dies, that's not really a God characteristic thing. Like death and sickness, that came in with the fall. That wasn't a God thing. Whether it was that person's time to go and his predestined timeline for that person, uh, it gets confusing in that sense, right? Because we trust God, okay? You're sovereign, you're working it, you knew it was going to happen, you work all things for good. But we just have to be really careful, and I feel very passionate about this, that we're not attributing things to God in our misunderstanding of how his sovereignty works. And we're going, oh, I guess God wanted that. Like, uh, don't say that. There's a lot of things. He doesn't, does God want child abuse? Does God want people to get raped? Does God want, you know, children to be abducted and tortured? Like, he doesn't want that stuff. Like, we know he hates that. We hate it. Some things that maybe aren't as clear cut, we get a bit like, oh, it's a bit gray. But when it's good, we know it's good. Like, life, healing, hope, you know, that's God characteristics. Um, and so we need to move in that direction. And I think we need to move with confidence when we pray, like, no. And in a simple way, it's like we're to pray the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is this in heaven? If it's not in heaven, confidently pray for what you know is in heaven. And if it doesn't happen, praise the Lord. Put it in his hands, trust him. But don't try and come up with theories and reasons why it didn't work that make it okay for us not to pray next time or to go, oh, well... No, like we don't have to come up with all the answers. We don't have to know everything. But we, what we do know, we need to be obedient to. We know God is a God of life, love, healing. Yes, there's some like examples of like, well, what about this situation? Or God gave this plague. And it's like, yes, but like the stuff that's really clear, like, you know, if it's, if it's clear, if Jesus, look at Jesus, wherever it's muddy, like I think Ruth was talking about this, is it in Jesus? Does Jesus ever not heal someone? Does Jesus ever not cast out a demon? Does Je- you know, like, what did Jesus do? That's the best one to look at when we're confused about stuff. And just keep going with that and, and just take the weight off. I don't have to have all the answers and all the explanations. Just simple faith. This represents God, healing, freedom. And there is reasons. There is some other reason why people don't get healed that the scripture tells us. Sometimes there's unforgiveness in people. So there's other, the spiritual things going on that we don't always fully see and know. And we don't maybe always have full authority over someone's choices in their heart. And but we can't say that we don't know. We're not. We're not to judge why they didn't get healed or determine that. But we just need to keep moving forward in what we have been told to do. What has been revealed to us about God's will, and do that with confidence and love. Um, And oh, it's, it's, oh, it's just about time. Time, I'll wrap it up. Um, there's a couple more examples. I'll just give you some of these scriptures, but just this idea that you know we see all through scripture. This idea of God working through. He finds representatives and he works through them. That's the way he operates. And you know, as Elijah's used an example about how he prays for rain and then the rain came. And um, you know, he he's again. It's like that thing of the baby being. It's like. He's looking for people to cooperate with. To, you know, this is how he's chosen to run the world. This is how the rules of the earth work. God wants to partner with mankind. He wants mankind to represent him and to be cooperative with him to see his will be done on the earth. He likes it. It makes, you know, it's, a, it's like I said, it's a meaningful connection for God with us. I think that's what's underneath it all is that meaningful relationship that that grows us with him that actually is dynamic and engaging for God not just for us. Um, yeah, so he's looking for people that will partner with him to stand in the gap, to intercede, to pray, to speak out what he wants. 
And we have been given that authority to do that. And we need to grow in that and own that. And and it's not like true humility is being honest. And 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 true humility is submitting to God. And if God is saying, This is who you are, and this is what I want you to do, it's not like boastful or like I'm so great to say, Well, I represent God on the earth. Like it can sound, I'm God's rep here. Like that I mean, it's about partly how you how how you do that, how you carry it, obviously, but like it is a big, big thing, but we should be honoured by it and want to grow into it. Um, here's a quote from Peter Wagner. I'm just, we must understand that our sovereign God has for his own reasons, which I've kind of given my, what I think those reasons might be, designed this world that much of what is truly his will, he makes contingent on the attitudes and actions of human beings. He allows humans to make decisions that can influence history. Human inaction does not nullify the atonement, but human inaction can make the atonement ineffective for lost people. I I just want to finish with um, James chap. what is it? I've got it on the wall back there. Is it James chapter 5? 5 verse 16. Um, which I know off by heart. But it's like, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I, said, I was saying this verse to Alex. And he goes, yeah, but people are like, oh, I'm not righteous. Are you righteous? Exactly. Do we believe that Jesus' work on the cross was effective to make us righteous? Do we believe that? We're meant to be believers. And again, the unbelief, this is so key. Do we believe that we are righteous and that we are qualified to now represent God? Because if we doubt that, if we don't believe fully that we are now righteous, that we are now qualified to represent Jesus again, we won't act like we are. We won't be obedient to that. So if we're not sure about it, we need to come back and really go into that and go, do I believe Jesus? Do I believe it when he says, I'm made righteous, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? And that seems like an audacious thing to say. But it is. But, it, but it's what he said. So we need to be humble and accept it and believe it and go, okay, if God said that about me, if that's what he's done and he's made it possible, it's not me. We know that it's not us. But he's done it. So now I'm righteous. So now my, pa- my prayers are powerful and effective because that's what he's done. And so we can be confident to, and um, we should grow in that confidence to be walking in the spiritual authority that he has won. And it wasn't like a small task for him to win that back for us. You know what I mean? Like he gave everything to win that back. And the only thing the enemy has left is to trip us up and stop us from accepting that and walking in that and keep us ineffective. And like, what a shame. Like, that must break Jesus' heart when all that he's gone through, if now his people have got all this stuff and he's done all, and we're like, oh, I don't know. I'll just stay here on home base. Let's, you know, let's give Jesus what he paid for. Let's walk as the children of God that we are because of what he's done. And let's be bold in our prayers and bold to go after the kingdom of darkness because it's already lost. And he's, he's got all power and authority and we're called to walk in it, to represent him. In Philippians 1, 27, it's like, above all, live as citizens of heaven. That's who we are now. We live as his children. That's our priority to represent him in everything we do. And we are enabled to do that because of all that he's done. We can do that. So I think that it's really important fundamental stuff for us to understand as we want to tackle into things like spiritual authority and intercessory prayer. Um, what's the traditional word for it, Shane? Warfare. Spiritual warfare. You know, spiritual authority, basically. All that. It's like we need to get this. Um, yeah, here's one more quote from Andrew Murray. God's giving is inseparably, inseparably 
connected with our asking. Only by intercession can that power be brought down from heaven, which will enable the church to conquer the world. And again, it's not because we're so amazing. Like, that's how he set things up to work. And so let's play, let's play the game his way. Amen? All right, let me pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you for the incredible thing that you've accomplished for us. Like the good news that we can never come to the end of amazement over, of awe and wonder. Lord, may we continue to go just that you would empower us to be expanded in our, our, our knowledge of this incredible truth and reality. The height, the depth, the width, the breadth of your love that you wanted us you wanted a relationship with us you wanted us your family so bad that you became a man to win that back to win us back to win us back as your children and to win the earth back and to redeem all of creation because you are good and you're able to restore all things you're able to turn everything around for good in the hugest things like this and even the smallest things in our life lord increase our faith help us to truly believe lord i pray that the the blocks of unbelief and the lies that would be ripped apart and seen for what it is and we we take in your truth we'd hear it we'd receive it we'd respond to it we would believe we would be people that truly believe you and act on that and that the gates of hell would not prevail against the army of the Lord, that we would grow in our might, grow in our authority as representatives of you on the earth, that we would represent you well, and we would see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All power and glory to you, Lord, forever and ever. Amen.